0: Welcome to the JMP cast. I'm your host, Josiah Michael Pyatt. This podcast is centered around the question What does it look like to live in our identity in Christ and to actively participate in the Father's kingdom that's in our midst? On today's episode, we look at Paul's warning to the church in Colossae through the question What are we being captivated by? Well, if you've been following along in our journey through the book of Colossians, you'll know that we are now transitioning into a series of warnings that Paul is going to present to the church in Colossa. We saw a couple weeks ago that Paul is actually going to warn this church to watch out for followers of Jesus that are going to come in their life and give them plausible arguments against the things that they're knowing, the things that they're showing, the things that they're growing in. Very quickly, though, we discovered that Paul does not want us to focus on the lies. He doesn't want us to focus on these people. He wants us to focus on Jesus Christ. And so very quickly, we discovered that Paul is saying to us that he wants us to be mature in Christ. He wants to see us in good order and in the firmness of our faith. And so Paul has bringing light to these things that might come in and try to distract us and try to take us out of of our growing and our knowing but he wants us to remember that in Jesus we have enough. And so Paul gives this warning and then last week we looked before he goes into this new list of people and different things that he wants us to watch out for. He's going to tell this church, I want to see you rooted built up and established in Jesus Christ our Lord. The things that we have received in Christ as we walk in him. And so today, Paul is going to bring forth these three things, these three areas that he's wanting us to watch out for. And he's going to present these things, but very quickly, he's going to use this presentation to ask a deeper question for this church and for you and I to think about And then the beautiful thing about Paul and the way that he writes this letter is that he's going to respond to this question, not by giving us a list of do's and don'ts, not by giving us a list of steps that we should be taking, but he's going to give us images that speak into these situations. And so before we get into this today, I would just like to pray. So, Father, I ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, I ask that you would speak. God, that we would have ears to listen, a heart that's ready to receive the words that you have spoken through the man, Paul. God, we want to walk with you. We want to know you. We want to grow deeper with you. Lord, we are thankful for the ways that you have shown up in our life, but we desire to see you more we desire to experience you more. We desire to see those around us experience your love and your truth and your power. So Father, would you fill us with your wisdom, with your truth, would we walk in a way that's worthy through the power of your holy spirit? God, we are listening. Would you speak to us today? Amen. So, we are in Colossians. We're now in chapter 2, and this is verses 8 to Let's say verse, yeah, verse 8 actually, just verse 8. And this is the English Standard Version, as always. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So Paul is going to warn this church about the philosophies of the day that are full of empty deceit, He's going to warn them about tradition. He's going to warn them about an elemental spirit of the world that is like this teaching. And so what's interesting is Paul introduces these these areas that we need to watch out for, that this church needs to watch out for. But he does it through this question. And that question is, what are you being captivated by? This is a question that is so important for you and I to ask ourselves, not just once in a while, but, but something that we need to consistently be having on the, on the back burner of our mind. What are we being captivated by? You see, Paul is asking this church, he's saying, do not be captivated by these things. He's saying, be captivated by Jesus Christ. So there's this question that he's asking you and me. He's asking us, what are we being captivated by? You see, no matter where you find yourself today, whether you're a follower of Jesus, you're curious about Jesus, or you want nothing to do with Jesus, you are going to be captivated by something. This might be a politician. This might be a YouTube influencer. This might be in entertainment. This might be in sports. This might be in your job. This might be in your family. This might be in a relationship. This could be in the collective humanity that you're captivated by, the evolution of man. You might be captivated by yourself. Regardless of, of what it is, there is always going to be something that has your attention. There is always going to be something that you are drawn towards. And so, Paul is warning us as followers of Jesus who know who we are in Him to be mindful of what we are watching, to be mindful of where our eyes are looking, to be mindful of where we are giving our attention. He is actually saying in this question that we can be fully captivated by, the, by Jesus Christ. And so he's asking this question, what are we captivated by? And what I love about Paul and what I love about the Eastern way of approaching an issue is that instead of just giving a list of do's and don'ts, instead of just saying here's seven steps that you need to take to, to be captivated by Jesus? No, instead Paul is going to respond to this his own question that he's asking this church, and he's gonna to respond to this question by by giving us these images that have such um history and such weight within the Jewish community, and yet he's going to redefine these images and recenter them onto Christ. I'm really excited to get to talk to you about these images that Paul presents to us. But I want us to remember that this letter was written to the everyday follower of Jesus. Paul is not saying that it's only for the leaders of the church. It's only for the missionaries of cross seas. He is saying that we as followers of Jesus, as everyday followers of Jesus, need to be captivated by Christ and Christ alone. Oh, uh, let's, let's get into this. This is so good. So this is verse 9. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So before Paul gives us this image that he wants us to think about, he's going to say first and foremost, do not forget that it's Christ that dwells within us and that this Jesus Christ is actually God. He is the creator of all things. He's reminding this church very briefly. He's saying, guys. Be captivated by Jesus. Remember that He is not just your personal Lord and Savior, which He is, of course, but He is the King. He is God. He is the Creator, and He dwells within us. You want to be captivated by something? Be captivated by this. That's just a side note. Paul just kind of throws it in before he even gets to the main image that he's going to talk about. So now let's read this image. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. So Paul is bringing this image to mind. He's using this language of circumcision. Now in order for us to get the full weight of what Paul is saying, I want to just give a little bit of background to what circumcision is about. So in a, cu- a couple episodes ago we in the, I think it was the mystery revealed episode. I'm not sure how I ended up titling it, but it was the episode where we talked about the five acts of scripture. We learned about the creation story, the fall, the covenant, Jesus and the new cosmos in that in that order of the Old Testament story and and where Jesus came into the story and now we learned about Jesus dwelling in us. Well, in that third act, the question we were asking was Is Jesus, is God going to leave Adam and Eve separate from him because of the decision that they made in the fall? And the answer was no. And we saw this answer through the man Abraham, where God spoke to Abraham and said, through your descendants, I'm going to restore what was lost in the garden. And through Abraham's descendants was Israel. And that's where Jesus comes from. Eventually, there's a long story there that we did talk about briefly. But what I want us to know and what is, where this idea of circumcision comes from was when God made this promise to Abraham, it was marked through circumcision. And so, circumcision within the Jewish story was a significant act because it was an act that represented the covenant that God made with his people, Abraham and his descendants. And so, to be circumcised would be to be marked, would be to be chosen, would be to be under this covenant. That God made. And this image was also used within the Jewish world for people to get married. So sometimes there were these Jews that weren't circumcised, and in order for them to get married, they had to be circumcised in order for God to almost approve the wedding. Now, this also can be seen in the Old Testament for a couple stories where an army was about to go out, the Israelites were about to go out and destroy one of the enemies, but before they did, they had to circumcise the men. And so circumcision was also a sign of protection, a sign that um, God was going to use you. It was also this consecration. And what that means is that it was a way for you to be purified and to be able to uh, almost be able to say that I'm in a place where God can use me. It was almost like a, a rite of passage that says, I have been chosen by God. I am part of the covenant people, and therefore God is going to use me. Now God can use me because I'm circumcised. So this image of circumcision, I want us to understand that it represents covenant. It represents being the new people of God that is like Abraham's descendants. It represents protection to say that God is going to protect me because I'm chosen. And it also represents uh, participation in the sense that because I've been circumcised, I now am actively a part of the new family of God. I'm actively a part of Abraham. And so with that in mind, let's reread what Paul says and see what he might be saying. Because remember, this question that we're asking in this episode and what Paul is asking is, what are we captivated by? So let's read this again. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Paul is reminding this church in Colossae that there is a circumcision that comes not through hands, but through Christ Himself. And in this circumcision, the flesh that we have in us is removed. This is incredible. What Paul is saying is that. And when we find ourselves saying yes to Jesus and following in his ways, we are being circumcised by him in that we have been what? That we are now part of the covenant people, that we are now part of Abraham's descendants, that we are now part of the family of God, that we have been consecrated, we have been set apart, we have been made new. Paul is saying that through Jesus Christ, the flesh that we once had in us has been fully removed from us. Now, this brings up another question, which is, why do I still sin then? If my flesh has been removed, why do I still sin? Maybe really quickly, I'll just explain what, what Paul means by flesh. So Paul, when he's using this word flesh, he's saying basically anything that's carnal. He's saying when we are selfish, when we are uh, sinful, when we, when we are lustful, when we are prideful, when we are self-focused, when we don't care about the other people in our life, when we're not taking the heart of God and loving the way that we are meant to. The flesh represents the things that we don't want to do, but we end up doing. The things that harm ourselves and harms others. It's idolatry in in its purest form. And so when Paul says that we, that this church has been circumcised in Christ, he's saying that the flesh of us has been fully removed so this leads us with this question, then why do we still make mistakes and why does it still feel like there's flesh within us? I'm not going to give you an answer or a response to that because I think Paul does through this passage, but I want us to keep that in mind. So Paul brings this image of circumcision to us. Now let's see this next image. Let's hear what Paul has to say. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So what are we being captivated by? And Paul brings this image of circumcision. And now we hear Paul brings this image of baptism. So again, I'm going to give you a little bit of background to this word baptism. If you remember within that narrative of scripture, we talked about there was a time where Jesus and God gave Israel the opportunity to follow him. And Israel said no. And as a result, they ended up becoming slaves under the Egyptian rules. And so what happened was when they were delivered through the man Moses, they were delivered through the Red Sea, and as they walked through the sea, the sea was parted for them, and they were able to break free from the oppressor, but the oppressor, Egypt, the, the, the army, was destroyed in the Red Sea. And so this image of baptism is one that represents when the enemy that has been over us has been destroyed has been killed has been removed from us and now we have this opportunity to live in a new way now this image of baptism continues on and where if you remember so after they get through the red sea moses is given the covenant he's given the promise the way in which the new people of god would live and as he goes down from the mountain after he hears hears from god Israel has actually disobeyed, and they, and because of this, there was this, these consequences, and then they end up going through this desert, and while they're in the desert, they get to this land, this promised land, and there's people there, and they get scared, and they don't choose to trust God, and as a result, they get exiled into the desert, and it was their children that would be able to experience the promised land. So, it was through Joshua and Caleb that they were led into the promised land. What's really interesting about this is there's this Jordan River that was the, in between, between the desert and the promised land. And Israel had to pass through this water, the Jordan River, in order to enter the promised land. Now fast forward to Jesus' time. You have John the Baptist in the Jordan River baptizing people, a baptism of repentance. So what baptism was, was this symbol that was saying, I have been passed through the waters. I am no longer under my oppressor. I am choosing to follow Yahweh's way. And so this was a symbol that was recognizing our sin. It was recognizing Israel's sin and saying that we've disobeyed God, but now we want to follow him again. We want to be restored. We want to be part of those who find deliverance. And so they were awaiting the Messiah, but this baptism was a symbol of saying, I am the true Israel who's waiting, who's purifying myself and being ready for this new people of God to come through this Messiah. And so this symbol of baptism was one of saying, not just as an individual, but as a group, I am entering into the family of God. I am entering into Abraham's descendants. I am the true uh, people of God. I'm part of the number. So if circumcision was a sign of the covenant and baptism was a sign of deliverance, let's read what Paul says again. So he says this, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul is saying to us and to this church, there is a new baptism that we have experienced. This baptism is one that we shared with Christ. So just like with circumcision, there's a new circumcision in which Christ is now at the center. Now he is saying there's this new baptism, which when once again, Christ is at the center. In this next part, Paul so brilliantly is going to bring now these two images together. Let's read. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. By canceling the record of this debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul brings these two images together. He says that it is our flesh that has been removed through this circumcision and that we now, through the death of Christ, through the baptism, we now have a new life that we are living. So Paul brings these two images together and then brings in a new image for us to think about. This is one of the judicial system. You see, Paul says this line. He says that there is a debt that has been paid through Christ's death on the cross. You see, Paul is now bringing in this final image to respond to this question of what are we being captivated by. This idea of debt was one that the Jews who were listening to this letter would have understood. It's interesting because Paul responds with this question of captivated with three Jewish images. Of course, debt was also a Roman idea, and for sure there's implications within that and in and of itself. But what I want us to hear is that it's interesting because Israel's perspective and what they were taught in the Old Testament, the way of Yahweh, was that there was a debt that had to be paid because of their sin. And so it was at the temple that they would sacrifice animals, they would bring offerings to God as a way of penance, as a way of atoning for the mistakes that they had made, for the flesh that was within them. And so Paul was saying to them, he's using this image to remind them that this eternal debt that they had to pay has now been finished, complete, paid in full by what Jesus had done on the cross. There is no way for this debt to be paid through the old way. There is now a new way where once and for all, this debt has been paid. It's so interesting because Paul says that through the cross, he has disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by trying things over them. Now, if you were anyone listening to this statement in this culture, you would see that this is such a contradiction for the cross was the ultimate sign of being defeated. It was the ultimate sign of shame, of being embarrassed, of being mocked. Because this the, the cross was where you were nailed, you were killed, you suffered horribly, you were naked, you were exposed, you were you were it was disgusting. And so for Paul to say it was this very cross that Jesus died on that actually brings open shame to those of authority, to those in the ruler. It's just a complete contradiction and yet it's so amazing because Paul is saying to us that there is nothing in this world that can now come against us in, because of what Jesus did on this cross. This makes me think of a teaching of Jesus. I don't know exactly where it is. I'm sure you can Google it and find it very quickly. But there's this story where basically Jesus says, do not fear those who can take away your body. But, take a, but fear the one who can take away your soul. You see, Paul, in this moment, he's actually bringing this image of eternity. He's not talking about just the courtroom of today. He is talking about the courtroom, the, the throne room of God. And he is saying that even from this eternal perspective, that there has been a debt that has been paid, that has been signed, sealed, and delivered, that you and I and this church have been, completely made free from. Remember that Paul is bringing these images to mind out of a response to a warning. I want us to now dive back into these images, but to think about what the implications would be for you and for me. So let's look at circumcision. So Paul is saying to us that we have been circumcised by the Son that he has delivered us, that he has set us apart, that our flesh has been fully removed from us. So back in the beginning of this episode, we asked this question, what does this mean? Does this mean, why do we still sin? Why do we still have these things? Why do we still make mistakes? Paul is saying to us that this sin has been fully removed completely from us. And this image of the judicial system is to say that it has been declared. We have been declared freed from the grip of sin by the power of Jesus. We have been removed from the power of sin, from the power of the flesh. It has been fully removed in us. But just like we've learned through time and time again of the story of Christ is that he will not force our hands. And therefore, you and I have a choice in what we are going to give ourselves to. So when we have temptations come in and we have these things come up in our lives, there is an alt opportunity for us to say yes or no to them. These things are not coming from within. It's a lie. It's a lie. They are not within you. For Christ has has crucified them on the cross. These things have been circumcised out of us. We have been made pure and holy, blameless and above reproach. So when temptation comes your way through this week and through your life, when those things happen in that moment, center yourself on the truth that this is not the flesh in you. This has been removed by Jesus Christ alone. He has set us free from these things. This image of baptism has been one that we have been made new in Christ. Our old self has died with him at the cross. He has delivered us. We no longer have to give this sin and these temptations any more power than they deserve. For the Father has set us free. He has made us his own. The debt has been paid. We did not earn it. We did not deserve it, but we have received the forgiveness of sins from our Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ, we have all that we need for all of eternity. Do not let rulers and authorities in your life tell you anything different than this. You have enough in Him. You see, that's what I realized when I was studying this passage, and this is where I want us to close today. Because remember, Paul begins this by warning this church about not being captivated by philosophy, by empty deceit, by human tradition, by the elemental spirits of the world. What I've realized is that all of these different areas, all these things that are fighting for our attention, that are fighting for us to be captivated by. They all are promising us something that can only be found in Jesus. They are trying to show us a way to remove our flesh. They are trying to show us a way of having a higher consciousness, of being a better person. They are trying to show us a way for us to be happy, for us to have pleasure, for us to have power, for us to have fulfillment. No matter what area, whether it be philosophy or, or traditions or whatever it may be, these things are all going to come at us in different angles and say, I can give you what you are looking for. I can give you the thing that you are looking for. But what you have to do is you have to give me your eyes. You have to give me your attention. I mean, think about it. How, how many things in life come with a cost? How many cultures and subcultures that we have in our culture come with a cost, whether it be financially, through time, through rituals, how we spend our money, how we think, how we process those around us. These things are coming in and saying to us, we can find freedom, we can find happiness, we can find peace, we can find pleasure, but it's saying that we do not need Jesus. And yet when we dive into these images that Paul is reminding us of and showing us, he's saying that Jesus has given us all the Things for free, for free. He paid the price. There's no ritual for purification. He has paid it for us. We don't have to pay penance. We don't have to do things to become pure. He has made us pure and we walk out of that place of pureness. He has given us peace. He has given us hope. He has given us life. These things of the world can only promise a shadow of the substance of what Christ has actually given us for free. He loves us. He is for us. He's inviting us into a new way, into a deeper way. And these things of the world will try and convince us that we do not need him. It's the very temptation that Adam and Eve were given in the garden. They had everything they could ever want and yet the enemy came in and said there was more for them and that they didn't need God to receive that more. And so they chose something different. It's the same promise that you and I are given that God isn't enough, that Jesus isn't enough and that there must be something more, that his way cannot be the way. There has to be other ways. You don't need him. It's a lie and it's something that so many followers of Jesus can be trapped to through our walk with him. And it's so sad to see. But what Paul is saying to us is don't fix yourself on the lies. Fix yourself on the truth of who Jesus is and what he says about us. We have been circumcised by him. We have been baptized into a new family. We have experienced deliverance. All of eternity, we have been made new. The debt has been paid. It's amazing because Paul is telling us that on every dimension that there is something for us to be captivated through Jesus Christ. God is king. He is Lord and he dwells within us, right? Paul is telling us that there is something so much greater for you and I to be captivated in. Do not settle for the counterfeits of this world, but know that through Christ we have access to a beautiful revelation, a beautiful relationship a beautiful lifestyle. And it's a lifestyle that doesn't happen one day. It's a lifestyle that you and I get to have today. So as we go through our week, as we go through our month, would we not be captivated by the things of this world, but would we continue to be captivated by Jesus for all that he has done and all that he is doing? He is worthy of all of our praise, of all of our adoration. Father, I ask that right now that you would just anchor in our hearts, that you would secure in us this understanding of who you are, of your greatness. Father, I don't know how clear and concise this message has been, but I just ask that the things that were from you would remain, Lord, that we would fix our eyes on you. God, that we wouldn't get distracted by the things of man or the things of this world, but that we would be fixed on you that we would see who you are and what you have done and that we would live in the freedom that you have paid for us. Thank you that you are enough. You are faithful and you are good. Lord, we choose to trust you today in the things that you have done in our lives. Whether we feel like these things have happened or not, we trust that you know what you're doing. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Well, thank you for listening to today's episode. Isn't Jesus just amazing? Oh, it's such a privilege to walk with him. If you're wanting to stay up to date on this podcast, the best way to do that is to subscribe to this channel and to follow us on our Instagram and Facebook page at The JMP Cast. I hope you'll consider joining me as we continue to ask this question, what does it look like to live in our identity in Christ and to actually participate in the Father's kingdom that's in our midst. Have an awesome day.